0: Welcome to the Leadership Experiment with Royce and Mia, where each week we grab a cocktail and chat about the things you won't hear around the leadership table. We're debating hot topics and interviewing some of the bravest leaders and brightest minds we know. Royce, Royce, Royce. It is a new year, and we are, what, six, seven, eight days in, or right about that, at least this day where we're recording. And to say it's been uneventful so far. (laughs) So um, at the end of fourth quarter, we always tend to see a lot of articles and things that come out in studies and environmental uh, scans and different things of that sort that talk about what to expect in the year that's upcoming. And of course, 2020 was no different. There was quite a bit in the trade journals and headlines and anything, open any magazine, about what we can expect, not just as a country in 2021, but in our industry um, employees, teams, leadership, creativity, all of those things. So we thought maybe today we would spend a little bit of time curating some of those points that we saw. Maybe let's create a highlight reel of some of the hot topics that resonated with us about what we. Can expect to see in 2021. So, um, you have anything you want to start off with? There's so much. There is. There there is. When we think about this
1: time of year, I mean, everything you just said and where, where do you even start? I I always think about Winnie the Pooh. I might've used this quote before, but I'll use it again. It's like, yeah, I get where I'm going by walking away from where, where, where I'm from. And I do believe that, but sometimes you have to look back and understand from from where you came. And I think when we think about the last nine, 10 months, that really for us, wherever you are, that was such a pivotal moment. And I know there's been conversations and headlines about a reset or resets. And in a lot of ways, I, I do feel like there was a lot of things that were reset. In a lot of ways, I, I think there weren't. Um, and I know that's uh, sort of both sides of my mouth there, but, but as we think about what lessons did we really learn in 20, and then how do we apply that to 21, because there's a lot of things that we were take, I took for granted. I won't say you, I won't, I, won't, I won't lump you in that, but there's a lot that I took for granted as things that we knew, but it never manifested. You know, it, it mm-hmm. was almost like uh, going back a few years, but too big to fail, And we used to all believe that that was true and then sure enough, it's not. And so how how do you take those, um, I don't know what the word is, but those, those, those assumptions or those false assumptions and how do we think about what was challenged? What did we actually learn? And then from there forecast out because I think there's a population that wants to say, you know, everything is back to normal. Let's erase the last nine months and let's use the same models. Let's use the same inputs. Let's use the same everything and forecast going forward. And we do that. We did that with uh, the great recession in 2008 or so, where if they all the economists will draw the lines, cut it out and say, look, we're back to where we should have been, you know, but, but I don't think we can do that again in this case. When, the world has fundamentally changed whether we like it or not. So where do we start yeah. peeling it back? Do we peel it back from lessons in 2020 or do we start thinking about 21 and how we want to tackle it? And and that, I don't know, Mia. Listen, That's- I think
0: if any, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that made a whole lot of no sense. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. No, that, no, I got you. I got you. I got you. I think that if anybody could, could do what you just suggested, I mean, they'd be the, you know, they'd be the wealthiest person on the face of the earth. I think that no one really knows. But without knowing, we still have to plan, we still have to do, we have to act and survive. So what do, what do we do? I'll tell you some of the a few things that I read that, uh, you know, some things that I read, I said, ah, you know, that's not not anything that's really of substance. But there were some other things, not as much substance, but sort of sat with me a little bit differently than maybe the first time that I read it. One of the things that we have always seen in industries and we're seeing in our own industry is c- clearly consolidation. And I would, I, I think that what we're going to see is mass consolidation, a consolidation explosion. Um, we have seen that in our industry for different reasons over, over the years, over the decades, and it's sort of leveled off for some time. But uh, we're at a point now where... I think we're riding this wave of the financial impact that we're going to be seeing in 2021. Whether it's delinquency, we're going to be seeing bottom lines impacted. Obviously, we're seeing that now. Margin compression like no other. All of those things. I mean, I know that kind of sounds like really CFO-ish, but I think it does impact even the creative areas, marketing and different areas of the business as well, because we all have to pay attention to that to keep the lights on. But um, I think we're going to start seeing, just out of necessity, credit unions and other industries um, really start consolidating. And I'm not talking about the small guys. Years ago, it was, you know, you've got a really small shop and the CEO is retiring. And so it makes sense to just loop that small shop, you know, put their, sweep their assets into a larger shop. I'm talking about massive organizations um, aligning and partnering with other massive organizations just for the scalability factor. Now is the time where consumers are definitely used to digital strategies working for them in convenience. And that partnered with the way some credit unions are modeled today. I think that you're going to really start to see the disparity between the winners and the unwinners um, this year.
1: Yeah, so at the risk of offending any of the credit unions, but, and you'll get that through this conversation, but, you know, I think consolidation is the after effect. It's the consequence that you're going to see. But, but I think what a lot of times what we're missing is the, the cause of that consequence. And so my bad joke is over this period of time, I've made more money. At Macy's and Nordstroms that I've spent at Macy's or Nordstroms, and I, I love both of those retailers, you know. But but I I bought their stock when when the market was at a low, and you know who buys who buys a retail stock, who buys luxury retail in the midst of a global pandemic? Well, um, I did, and uh, and I've made more money off of the stock there than I have in what I've actually spent in their stores. In the, You know, I I do spend quite a bit on their stores online, of course. So it's kind of interesting. But when you look at what's happened, even with Macy's and Nordstrom, just using public information, they're consolidating. They're getting rid of stores. They've changed their business models. You're seeing, I think if you read some articles, you're going to see that Nordstrom Rack has driven a profit segment over the traditional brick and mortar experience. You're seeing in New York, you're seeing some of those flagship stores starting to unwind and disappear, you know? Yes. So as we think about consolidation, is it because people have too much money, and by people in this case, business, but also people, when you have too much resources and you're blowing resources or not effectively allocating them as much, As if you had limited resources, are we making bad investments and bad choices or are we trying to jump on bad trends. And so what happened using that reset analogy is it's time to Change your strategy. It's time to rethink what you're doing. I mean, we see that we we talked about fashion not too long ago, but you know, are, are you buying custom suits or are you switching over to softer materials now? I mean, when you think about it, what you're doing, is this what we're seeing? Is that what's causing the consolidation and
0: less about anything else? Yeah, I think you, you make a good point there. I, I think when we look at our own industry, uh, I, I think it just comes down to whether it's utilization of resources or, or just the ability to be able to compete I think that's really what it comes down to. Now, for some of your shops that are already offering and seeing things from the consumer's perspective and seeing financial consumers just like any other consumer and recognizing that the consumer buying journey they take when they are buying the suits at Macy's is very similar to that when they come into our brick and mortar. Shops that don't understand that and recognize that are going to suffer even more, but those that are mastering that and understanding how to build their business by adopting that mindset, even if they're doing really well right now, I definitely think we're going to still see an uptick in consolidation of businesses simply because they're going to come together to build and refine their digital strategies even more. And that's going to take better talent, better resources, and just a different business model altogether. And I think some credit unions are positioned for that, and some are not. Anyway, uh, consolidation. I think it's. I think we're going to see an uptick in that for sure in 2021, and well into 2022, when things start to maybe settle. And that's, of course, if we sort of stay status quo where we are right now. We don't even know really what's going to be happening in the world and in the country with the pandemic and other things, and economy and new president, all of that, that's going to impact us. So we really don't know, but here's what we do know. Here's something else is that we've talked a lot in our industry about digital strategies and how you know, you've got to get on board with that. If you're not, it's really not a luxury anymore. Well now it's sort of like we're almost past the concept of digital strategy. And now we're moving into the entire holistic digital experience. So if you have not adopted channels for your members to be able to work with you, and to conduct business with you and in uh, an efficient and convenient way, then you're really, you're now at this point really behind the curve. Because look at what happened in the last nine months. Who would have ever thought that you could curbside pick up a 60 inch TV from Best Buy? Like, legit. Mm-hmm. Is that crazy? I mean, or have someone deliver your groceries for free. Who would have ever thought that you could pull up curbside to Walgreens and get Pepto-Bismol without even getting out of your car? I mean, this is the reality, and this is what consumers are used to. So how do you think that's going to impact our business model as credit unions? What do you think that's going to do in terms of digital strategy?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, because I, I tend to be more of a traditionalist. I I, I don't... You going inside for your Pepto? I go inside for... <laughs> yeah yeah although i will admit that when uh when bevmo was uh, was curbside service that was pretty damn cool
0: <laughs> uh, hello <laughs> yeah uh,
1: uh, i've never believed that digital was a strategy we don't have a digital strategy we don't have titles uh, in marketing not talking about the organization but w- w- i've never really had like uh, say a digital marketing manager. Because to me, you're a marketing manager and digital just happens to be one of your tools. One of your other tool could be a billboard, another tool could be a piece of direct mail. It just happened to be digital. What's different for us though, is what we think about, um, we use the word term key art, and that really is is just the main piece of creative that everything else kind of stems from or build from. And traditionally, Key art started as a two dimensional flat piece, typically a a newspaper ad, a flyer, a poster, and then you build every other element of your campaign away from that. We don't do that anymore. I don't think in those terms, because we are so digital first, I guess, and I use the word digital loosely. So we always start concepting first in terms of our commercial, our motion graphics, our video. And quite honestly, the print or the mailer or the poster is the last thing we actually create. Well, kind of like our piece, where the title is going to come after we uh, we record <laughs> our session. That's funny. Anyways, so since, since we've got what once you think about the experience first, then the digital strategy is that you have to have digital. It's not about whether or not you know you have uh, good bad. It, it needs to be best of breed because people expect best of breed. But best of breed isn't a strategy. That's a cost of. That's table stakes. That's the cost of entry. So you need to have a mobile app. You need to have a good, stable bandwidth for online banking. You need to have a great security. You need to have all of that stuff. That's not optional. That's just our cost of entry. That That's what you have to put out if you want to compete. And that, that's how we've always thought, thought about digital. And so really what it comes down to is, is the experience. What the experience is, it's very much quantum. I remember once, you know, coming back to like leadership experiment stuff where they always used to say, interview CEOs, interview everybody and figure out what their job path was. And I hear, we, we kind of diverge here a little bit, but what's their job path? What's the right way to get to CEO? And when you talk to them, you realize they all got there through different means. I mean, there is no job path. There is no optimal path. I mean, optimal path is like you start your company or, or you inherit a company. Outside of that, everybody did it completely differently. And so when you think about back to Michael Porter and strategy, you know, strategy and competitive advantage comes from your set of core competencies. So what is it that you're actually good at? What is it that you're good at that's different than everybody else? And how do you use it to get where you wanna be? That's a whole different piece than to think about digital as a strategy or or not as a strategy or whether or not you're even doing it. And if you can't recognize what's table stakes versus what's value add, then sorry, you're going to get consolidated
0: (laughs) and you should be. There you go. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're making the point. You're making the point of those first two headlines, the consolidation explosion, and then this digital approach, if you don't want to call it a strategy, you have to realize, you know, are you still trying to sell VHS tapes when there's that one person, your grandma who still got the VHS recorder, it's like, you got to move on. You have to evolve. And so Likewise, it's not just about dabbling in the few tools that consumers need. Now it's, to your point, it's looking at that entire, entire digital experience. And what I, what I mean by that is, is you still have some organizations that will adopt channels, whether it's mobile app, whether it's online banking or whatever, but it's full of broken processes, long load times, bad design, bad workflow, It's almost written, not from the consumer's perspective, but it's designed and written and architected really from the engineer's perspective. And the user experience is really key in understanding what the consumer demands in that. And let's just look at the retail and we can see that. And people have been forced to really just fast forward over the past nine months. And some credit unions have done a really great job. Some of them were already doing things really well in the the digital space and some spun it up and learned really quickly and are doing well. And others are still trying to figure out how to connect the VPN, work remote. It's like, okay, just shine your shoes, get ready, get ready to be, get ready to be absorbed by another shop. But I know that's really just, that's a simple way to look at it. But I'm just talking about now, instead of us talking about digital solutions as an organization, as a leadership team, we should be talking about that experience as a whole because now that is the way the consumer works and lives and if you're not there that's not a good thing.
1: Absolutely well and what you're talking about is so spot-on I'll come back to this funny example that I remember that stayed with me from very much early on to show you how kind of ridiculous we think about our businesses sometimes um, but but thinking about what you just said about migrating to this digital environment we've all had a bad habit of taking offline processes and then adapting them to new technology. Think about original online banking and opening up a new, applying for a loan via online banking. What did we do? We took our paper app and then we duplicated the paper app process through the computer. What did we do when we moved from <laughs> online banking to mobile banking? We said, here's how online banking works. So now we just got to adapt online banking to a telephone. All right, but what happened? Well, all along all these digital disruptors came along people that don't know anything and said why would I do that your phone can do it this way so why would you copy a process you know which always reminds me we do things it goes back to our keyboards I love this story and here it is 2021 and we still have the same keyboard as whenever they invented the typewriter but do you Mia, know why we have a QWERTY keyboard the KWE or the QWERTY do you know why we the letters are arranged in this particular format on your keyboard
0: I think I do. I knew this at one time, but I think they didn't pay the rent. And so that thought got kicked out of my brain. But tell <laughs> me. Well, the <laughs> reason me. was on an
1: old typewriter, the hammers have to strike from the time you press the button to the time the hammer strikes the piece of paper to leave the imprint. Um, that if you were to do it sequentially, or I don't know if it's alphabetically is probably the right word. So A, B, C, D, then we're the most common letters are used would get struck so fast that that they would not come back in time. And so what they had to do with the QWERTY keyboard is spread it out so that all the commonly used letters take longer for you to get to, so their hammers had a chance to come back. And so ever since then, studies showed that if they were to remap your keyboard, your words per minute would actually go up because you could process faster And you could type faster because you know where the letters are because it makes sense to you. But when they tried that, all the collective consciousness came back and said, nope, you're stupid. We're going back to the other way because this doesn't feel right. That is the history of the QWERTY keyboard. So we are intentionally being inefficient because we don't like it the other way even though productivity is better. So, so those, uh, so that one example was just fascinates me when I first started off in the bank, I, I was with, uh, we were talking about, I think emails were coming along. So that even tells you how old, how long I've been in this business. Cause everybody, I think every, even everybody like has e- emails now, but when I first started, not everybody had email and I was talking to this senior executive and I said, you know, what do you think about email? you know, because they're saying, who should get email, you know, should it just be the executives that get email? Should it be managers? Who should get email? And you know, his response to me is he's laughed. He says, you know, when you've been around this business as long as I have, what you don't remember Royce, is there was a time when we didn't have telephones everywhere. And we decided <laughs> who gets a telephone at their desk. <laughs> and, he, Dude. and He's like, you know what, it's the same argument with emails, pick your technology because as much as you're laughing at me and I got laughed at and we're laughing who got company cell phones who got company emails on their cell phones you know we do the same process we don't stop to think instead of thinking who gets email on their cell phone who gets vpn access that you brought up what if we all said what if everybody had all best of breed access what would our business look like nobody does that but imagine if we did or maybe somebody does it, I don't know them. If you do know them, email us. We'll reach out to us, a <laughs> leadership experiment. Uh, no, we will, we will brush up our resumes. <laughs> yes, you know, we wanna, well, we want to learn and yeah. Um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. But, but think about that, you know? so to your point about if you're not even thinking about digital strategies, you're, you're probably deciding who got email, you're probably deciding who's got a company phone. You know? And so you're missing the book because this world has left you behind. And so you've got to reposition that thought and go the other
0: way. What if we gave everybody a cell phone? What happens then? I think Forrester and their research said it best. They said, there was a quote, they, they said the industry needs to stop thinking about different channels and instead think about banking the way consumers do. Members expect data and balances to always be up to date as well as the same functionality, no matter what door they walk through. So to your point, it's not just about having the tool, but it's ensuring that there is consistency across all channels and that that it works like a consumer thinks. It's like, why ask me for the why are you asking me for my name five times? Why do I have to punch this in oh. ten times? It's like, don't you already have that? But again, and you know it, all those very simple things, and it sounds like a very simple thing, oh, okay well the, the the person has to wait three seconds instead of two for the page to load. Well, you know it's not that big of a deal to the engineer, well to the person who has options and choices, and is familiar with what everyone else is offering, that could be the deal breaker. So, I mean, it's just something to think about. Before we move on from that, because the last point is really thinking about what you resonated
1: with me there on is that we try to make decisions for consumers based on what's right for our business. So the challenge for the organization should be, how do you make it so that the consumer gets to do business with you the way they want to do business with you? for the reasons that they wanna do business with you, not for the reasons you want them
0: to do business with you. Right, and then you make it convenient, offset those costs in other places. Do we have time to talk about um, staff in 2021? And how are we going to continue to engage our employees when everyone is scattered about? That is a huge challenge that people are talking about right now. Um, with everyone still working remote and the fact that we're not walking down the hallway and seeing each other at the water cooler and doing the friendly nod or the thumbs up as we walk past you know the glass window and just feel like hey it's great to see everybody. We're all sort of stuck um, at the kitchen table with the dog and the drooling child like what do we do with that? (laughs) What do we do with that? How do we keep people engaged? It's a huge challenge and uh, you know who would have thought that we would have been Having employees work remote, not for three months, not for six months, but well over in some cases a year. How does that impact culture? How does that impact loyalty? It's a
1: lot to talk about. Oh, it is a lot to talk about. So we should probably dig into that a little bit more, but definitely for 21 for our prognostication episode, is that culture is going to matter in 2021. And I think companies leaders need to start thinking about that and talking about that when when we look back at our teams some teams are thriving some teams aren't some individuals are thriving some individuals aren't just looking out across the board and really trying to at this juncture you know with empathy but understand what is it you know it's like that consolidation example yeah some people are going to get consolidated out in the business but but understanding why and then if and even in the consolidated example, if they understand why, and if there's a way to solve it, then maybe they don't consolidate and maybe they emerge stronger. And so I, I think when we think about our teams or people in general going forward, I'd even ask you, Mia, I think in some cases you've strengthened relationships because of this remote environment. And in other cases, you've probably also weakened some relationships, but it's how do you win across the board? How, how do you start figuring out how do we keep winning with more people? And the people that I'm weakening with, how, how do I strengthen that? What do I need to do different to, to nurture that relationship and bring it back to where it was? And that is culturally, that, that's everything under the work leadership umbrella.
0: Yeah, and I think the misnomer is that in this new working environment, that it's easier. I think it's easier for some people, but I think for leaders, managers, those who oversee and work with teams, it's become harder because you're not able to just walk down the hallway. And granted, listen, I know a lot of leaders today have, it's not like they're walking down the hallway and that's their whole team. Not everyone has that corporate outfit where their entire team is just two offices down the hall. Some people have, you know, you, you've got staff that's across the country. So you've never been able to sort of knock on their door. But for some people, it's a new thing. And for some leaders, it's become so much more complex, because you're having to stay engaged with people in a way like never before. And on top of all that, the reason why we've landed in this situation is because of the pandemic, which adds added stress and changes at home. There's so much more. I think maybe this that can be an entire episode. How do you motivate staff when they're all over the place and they're out of sorts and not in their routine? And how does that impact leaders and managers? I'd wonder if maybe we might debate some of that. We may feel differently about how to handle that or how people are impacted or maybe solutions so maybe that's a uh, tee up for a future episode. What do you say? Sounds
1: like a plan to me. The management plan from you is probably suck it up, buttercup. Okay.
0: Yes. We're, we're going to debate that. We're going to debate that for sure.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Experiment with Roy Simià. If you enjoyed this episode and know somebody else that might like it, send it on. And if you didn't, but want to punish your friends, send it anyway.
0: And for a change of pace, join us for our Friday Happy Hour question and answer show, where we pour a cocktail and answer your most burning questions. If you'd like to pick our brains, oh, Royce, that's gross, <laughs> simply email us at happyhour at Royceandmia.com. Names will be changed to protect the guilty. So until next time,
1: keep the shiny side up.